Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So we have two initiatives for our, our, our church this year. Every year our elders and staff get together. So the first one was bring life to the city through house churches. And we have a bunch of like qualitative and quantitative goals for that as a staff. So we reorganize our whole church every year, just kind of refocusing, zero in, what's the target for this year? And the second one, which is a continuation of where we've been, but it's to bring life to the city through compassion and evangelism. So we are organizing the, the most valuable resource we have, which is you, people of the garden, around those two initiatives. And what we want to see, if you were to say, what, do you, what does that mean to you, Darren? Well, it means a few things. First is evangelism. We want to see a hundred new people baptized in our community. Wouldn't that be amazing? 100 baptisms, 300 first-time decisions where will people raise their hand and accept Jesus. We've had like 180 of those last year and like 75 baptisms or more than that last year. So we're just pushing that forward. Um, we want to do an amazing Alpha. It's funny, like we're laughing about alcohol and, and party, you know, a dinner party, but really Alpha's been an amazing ministry. 29 million people around the world have gone through Alpha. And I, it's just getting started here in the U.S., really. And I feel like it's going to take off. So we want to keep doing those. But um, some of the compassion stuff that I'm passionate about, we, one of our goals as a church is that, there are, um, that there, the goal is no need goes unmet at the Garden Church. That we look at Acts 2 and 4, and it talks about there's no needy person among them. Isn't that a profound testimony to a city? Like that is probably one of the most profound things we can do in our consumer, individualistic, narcissistic culture that we say we're gonna make sure that everyone has enough to go around, that there are no needs that go unmet. Uh, and there's a bunch of other things, like we wanna do amazing causes, uh, city serve days, and we wanna uh, or, uh, take care of safe families. And my, like, if you were to ask me, Darren, like, what do you hope th- that this church becomes over the long period of time? I would say that there would be zero homeless people in, in Long Beach, that there would be zero kids in the foster system, there are zero at-risk youth. Like, th- when I think of the church, I think of that. That's the goal, right? It's not people in a service. It's not great, you know, book sales or whatever you can do. It's we're changing that when we shut the doors, if we ever had to close the doors to a church, which we don't, this is Franklin, so it's not ours. But if we had to close the doors, metaphorically speaking, um, the city would just be in uproar. Like, no, 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 you can't. Like, that's gonna cost the city so much money because of everything you're doing as a community. That's the goal. So bring life to the city through compassion and evangelism. When I talk about this, I'm not talking about some clever staff kind of language or goal. I'm talking about what I want in every single person's heart that calls the garden home. I want it for all of us that we see our part in this journey of the kingdom of God being built and established on earth as it is in heaven, in Long Beach as it is in heaven. So um, I want to talk about that today. So I think there's two things we need to grow in this season. Um, as a church, and those are the things I want to talk about. So if you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Are we alive and a well and awake? Acts, okay, so we're, we're a little late in the game. Acts 1, 8. Um, give me like 25 minutes, and I, I'll get through this. I, it's, I think you'll, you'll, you'll be good. So um, Bible, I'm going to preach from iPad because I want to give those that don't bring their Bibles a little bit of love because I gave you a hard time last week. So forgive me. Nobody's laughing. Nobody, that's fine. That's cool. That's cool. Do you know it's less than 100 days until Star Wars open? Do you guys know? 
It's like 97 days, 96. Is anyone, anyone, do we have any fans here? I just want, where am I? Oh, wow. I knew it. <laughs> yep, here we go. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So this is kind of Luke's variation of the Great Commission. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit um, to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So essentially what Luke is getting at is that the followers of Jesus um, will be filled with the presence of God and they'll be filled with the power of God to become witnesses of the resurrected Christ and bring their witness, live that out everywhere they go, to the places you don't think it will ever make it to, that's where it's gonna go. That's kind of the goal for every single follower of Jesus, that we are filled with the presence of God so that we can be witnesses. Now, the word witness is where we get the word martyr from. Martyria is the, is the Greek word, and it means one who uh, lays down their life, one who dies for their faith, uh, one who testifies, so one who's sharing their testimony, one who affirms truth or brings, I love this one, one who affirms the truth or brings facts to a case, story, or event. So in some ways, as witnesses, we, our lives, become evidence for the resurrected Christ. So when we have testimonies, they're saying, I was once like this, but then I met Jesus, and now I'm like this. That's witness. And the goal for eternity is that we grow through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our life's, life continues to experience transformation so that others will experience transformation through us. Witness. Now, I, when I think of witness, I think, when I, when I think about the word like to evangelize, like to witness, like somebody who stands on a soapbox and tells people that they're going to hell when they die. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, I actually used to do this. So I came back to faith at 19. I took my NASB giant Bible to the block in Huntington Beach, to the block in Orange. I passed out tracts that said, million dollar question, where do you go when you die? And then I tried to beat people into following Jesus. And it was like, it was absolutely, it's apologetics, a form of apologetics that is very hostile. I didn't really convert anyone through that method. Um, and there's, there are better ways, but it's this kind of mentality of we have to witness, we have to go and witness. That was the idea. Like my idea of witness was telling people that we're going to hell. I actually, as you study the scriptures and realize what Jesus is after, he's, he wants you to cultivate the kind of life that brings peace and joy and love and forgiveness and, and grace and testimony to the resurrection in your everyday ordinary life. In other words, you, you, you kind of reveal the resurrection a million different ways that every day you live. Through how you have conversations, through generous tips, through acts of kindness, through forgiveness, when you can hold... hold grudges. Like there are a million different ways. And I, what I've realized is witness is not telling people that they're going to hell. It's living a life that reveals heaven has already come to earth. That's it. If we become, a, a, our lives become a redemptive presence everywhere we go. A redemptive presence. We're living as an example of Christ on earth. Isn't that what we, the goal is for your life? Like this is what the fruit of the spirit represents. This is what transformation and discipleship looks like. So that's the goal. He wants us to be these kinds of people. So yes, that means we're sharing our faith. Yes, that means, but most, but let me just say this real quick before I forget. When we talk about witness, we are pointing people to Jesus. Okay, we're not pointing them to a philosophy 
We're not pointing them to a moral teacher or a progressive, liberal, justice-oriented cause. Those are all great things, right? There's philosophy attached to Christianity, or behaviors and ethics and morality. There's all sorts of things. But we're pointing people to a risen God, a God who lived in human history as the incarnate son of a God, Jesus Christ, who died on a Roman cross and is risen from the dead and currently reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords over all of the cosmos. We're pointing people to that, him, not that. Does that make sense? You guys, you guys get what I'm getting at? All right, cool. So I'm just making sure. So we actually are talking when we say witness. That is evangelism. Sometimes you use words, sometimes you don't, but we are trying to get people into ongoing, loving relationship with Jesus. That's it. Because in that relationship, that's where all things work itself out. So we're not, we're not just talking about doing good causes or events. We're talking about inviting people, learning to live life in relationship with Christ. So how then do we grow as intentional witnesses of Jesus? This is the question I'm wrestling with. And I think this, the answer that I've come up with for today is really the vision I hope we embody as a community. So how do we bring life to the city through compassion and evangelism? Well, it's anchored in this text. We live as witnesses. But we need to grow in two things, love and power. I want us to be known at the garden by unconditional love and God's undeniable power. I want you to be known by your unconditional love and God's undeniable power in your life. Now, let's start with power because it says the Holy Spirit will give us power to be witnesses. So that power, the Holy Spirit comes to transform our lives, to re release us from addiction and transform us into Christ's likeness, but also to, to empower us to become agents of transformation in this place wherever you are every day you live so there's power now i just want to say most of my experience in the church up until i had this radical encounter with the holy spirit when i was 22 has been a powerless church i'm not trying to make a straw man of my past experience but i i, I really believe most of the church is about events and it's about the gospel of sin management so the focus of your life in Christ is to stop sinning. So you get into discipleship groups where you get small group of guys or girls together and you talk about your sin that you struggle with and you keep each other accountable so you can stop sinning. And you do that for your whole life and you think that that's what discipleship is. When Jesus is saying, that, I wanna show you how to resurrect the dead. Like, do you see the, do you see the difference? <laughs> Like I pull up the Starbucks and get my latte or whatever I'm drinking and I talk for an hour about one passage that I read that entire week because I was too busy and I talk about the problems at my work and the same sin, the lust that I have with the same person that I keep imagining or whatever it is and we think that that's Christ-likeness when Christ is saying, actually, I want you to go and do the things that I was doing when I was here. That's this whole thing of discipleship and for some reason, church is very comfortable with entertaining us and telling us that that's what real Christians do when actually you're called to bring the gospel everywhere you go you have been giving God himself in you in Christ baptized into the Trinitarian reality that wasn't tongues baptized into the Trinitarian reality <laughs> uh, and released right so when you walk down new neighborhoods you can say confidently they don't see it coming they don't know what's happened. I don't think it's me. It's the God I know. I have a child who's three years old that when I'm driving in the car and sees a homeless person, he says, Daddy, you have money? 
I see, oh, no, I don't have any money. Daddy, go get money right now. Why? We got to give money. The, the block doesn't know what's coming because of my three-year-old who's going to talk about Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. So we need power. You know, I went on lunch break the other day, a lunch break. I went to go get pokey at my op- by my office. I was busy doing the Lord's work. I deserve pokey. <laughs> and um, I did invite two people from, uh, from the pokey shop to come today. I don't know if they're here. If you are here, can you get it? No, not here. Okay, they didn't come. I told them, I told them 915, but who knows? Um, and I had an amazing meal. It was my, my lunch break. I come back in, and John is telling the story, Pastor John. I'm like, John, what did you do for lunch? Everyone's like listening. Uh, they're like, what did you do for lunch? And I'm like, I grabbed pokey by myself. He's, I'm like, John, what did you do? He's like, oh, I just shared my faith, and someone accepted Jesus. Okay, tell me more. So John was convicted. His new rule is I want to be held accountable. I want to share my faith and see three people come to Jesus every week. Okay, that's cool. What did you do? Well, I went around walking and I was too scared to talk to anyone. But finally I saw someone. I felt like God said, that's the person. So I, I was too afraid to cross the street. I'm like, what do you want me to do, God? And the guy crossed the street towards me. So I'm like, okay, I'll talk to him. John starts talking to him about Jesus. And as you do on your lunch break. And... Get, convinces this guy to pray for him, and that's the problem. See, what, what this guy doesn't know is John has so much power in the Spirit. It's God's power. John has access to it. He's experienced it for himself. I've been there. I watched John. And so many of us that have been prayed for by John have been rocked by that power. Any show of hands? I mean, we had some testimony. But anyways, yes, a bunch of us. Look at this. I've been, I've been on my knees weeping because John prayed something that he shouldn't know. And so John has a word of knowledge right, which is, this is the gifts used for evangelism about this guy. The guy stops in mid-prayer. How do you know this? I don't know this. Jesus knows this. He's inviting you into a relationship, says the prayer, accepts Jesus into his life for his lunch break. Power! That's power! Right? So, I've tried, and this is, what, how do we grow in power? Well, it's, it's risk. You gotta jump off. You gotta use your lunch break to convince, not, not beat them over the head. Invite people into relationship and trust the spirit to give you what's needed in that moment. I thought I had a similar, similar experience. It went like this. I was at Ralph's on 4th Street. I, I'm like, this is two years ago. I'm like, God, there's a pregnant lady. I have a word of knowledge for her. I'm gonna go tell her about this word. I would show up to this pregnant lady and I say, hey, and this is gonna sound totally strange. And she's like, yeah, okay, what is it? I'm like, but I feel like God's saying this. And she's like, that is totally strange. It has nothing to do with me. Thanks so much. And I ran out of there as fast as I could. I left my card. I was out. God, babe, we got to go. Leave the stuff. Leave the stuff. <laughs> don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> I totally bombed. I was like, dang it. It was not God. And that's how I learned. I've had like a thousand of those stories. Same day, same exact day that just happened. My faith level way down here. UPS driver comes to the house, knocks on the door. He's got bandages on his arms and braces on his knees. I said, what happened? He's like, I'm going on disability. I can't do this job. I'm st- I have too much physical pain. I'm on all sorts of medication. Let me pray for you. This was my prayer. Well, Lord, <laughs> just, just heal this guy. I don't know. Just heal him. Okay. Amen. Guy leaves. I'm like, I didn't even ask. Do you feel better? Nope, just leave. Get out. I close the door. Um, true story. A month later, I'm out of town. He comes into my office, our office on Broadway. No bandages, no braces. He's like, Darren, I've been looking for you. I was healed after you prayed. I've been telling everyone God healed me. <laughs> really? I did. It was me. I got one. I got one. How do we grow in power? Risk. You just, you just keep praying. 
John Wimber, who's known for his healing ministry, global movement of Vineyard, pastor called him up who has a massive ministry now in healing. He said, hey, I want to learn this stuff. And he said, great, pray for a thousand people. He went, I want to learn how to heal people. He said, pray for a thousand sick people and then come hang out. What's the lesson? You just got to keep trying. You just got to keep doing it. It's God's power. And, and then this is the lesson I've been learning. In December of this last year, I was praying for this year. Every year, I'm like, God, what do you, what do you want to teach me? I asked for one word. And the year before uh, was freedom. And this year, I felt like God said, I want to show you power. And I was like, cool. So I like interviewed all these healing people that have these massive ministries and I'm not learning anything. I'm like, this, this is like crazy. I don't believe in this stuff. I don't believe. I literally am asking all sorts of people. And, and then I felt, and then uh, I got into, um, I had another son, Amos. And God's like, I want to tell you about my power. Power is found in intimacy. Real power is found in, so how do you grow in power? Intimacy with Jesus, grow in intimacy. So brothers and sisters, invitation number one, I wanna be known by God's undeniable power. I wanna be a, be a church where people can come that are sick and get healed, where, where people experience authentic, meaningful, life-transforming encounters with God. Um, not just talk about it, but we're people that have tasted and seen it for ourselves. What is it gonna take? It's gonna take you risking. Go. Invite the Spirit to say, God, what's one step forward for me? What's one step forward to risk? Some of you praying for somebody, period, on a Sunday is a lot of risk. Some of you, it's praying for random strangers. Some of you, it's sharing your faith at the office. I, it, the list just, what, what does risk look like for you? I don't know. You have to decide, right? John is trying to get three people saved every week. That's, I'm like, well, why not seven? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll go. <laughs> okay, second thing. I want to be known by our unconditional love. And um, this is such a powerful like word and it's so important to, um, oh man, I missed this great story about witness. Should I tell this story about 100% tipping? Is that a good one? Okay, all right. You guys don't know. You, how many of you were here in the last service? Should I tell that story? Okay, all right. Okay, so I have a friend. So ways that you can be a witness full of power. Here's one way. So my fr a friend of mine uh, leads this big ministry. Um, he's connected to YWAM. He leads part of YWAM under Lauren Cunningham. Was host I was asking him about some of these leaders he has come in, and one of them is this really famous healing preacher. And I was like, dude, what's he like? And he's like, bro, he lives out this radical faith like I've never seen. I'm like, what? Like, what does he do? He's like, well, he like fasts three days a week. I'm like, okay, that's crazy. I couldn't, you know, that's, I couldn't do that. Could not, like, once every few months is good for me. You know, I'm like, I love pokey. God's not gonna call me to give up pokey. <laughs> You get, I gave it burritos, all right, Lord? Just not, not pokies. Okay, so, um, but he, he tips, he talked about all sorts of stuff, generosity and this, and he's like, he's dedicated to a generous lifestyle, and he tips 100% of the bill every single time. I was like, he clearly doesn't eat out that much. No, he does, apparently. So here's the story, okay? So my friend was with him, and um, they had this big ministry event, and he's ho hosting this, this speaker, and, and they have this meal together at the end, and, and this guy is literally like wrecking people left and right. Like the bus boy is like healed of a knee injury. Like the cook in the back, he has a word for the cook in the back that he can't see and it's right on. And he's like witnessing, he's sharing this life story of God with his waitress. And there's a bunch of people and the waitress is not really having it and she's laughing. But this guy is just wrecking everyone in the, in the restaurant. And at the end, my friend knows 
about this commitment he has to 100% tip. So the, the guy who's a guest was gonna pay for it. And my friend's like, no, 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 I'm gonna pay for it and I'll do the 100% tip. And he's like, it's gonna cost a lot of money, but I'll do it. And he's like, great. So he does the 100% tip thing on this big bill. And the speaker is sitting, everyone leaves and the speaker sits there and he calls the waitress over. He's like, hey, let me get a tea. And he's like, okay, so orders like a tea, doesn't drink it gets the bill, and my, my friend comes over, and he's like, let me pay for it. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this one, and writes a $100 tip on a $1.50 tea that he doesn't drink. Drink. Grabs the two bills with the 100% tip and $100 tip, walks it over to the waitress, and he says, look, I know we've been talking about God's generosity, but I wanted to demonstrate his generosity for you. She looks at the bills, falls down crying, and accepts Jesus in there. There are a million different ways to witness. How do we learn to live intentionally? Some of you, it might be 25% tip, 30. Like, I just, I, like, there are a million different ways. Isn't that a powerful story? Okay, so the other thing is unconditional love. That, I'm glad I shared that. You guys are blessed to know that story. Pass it on. I've been sharing it because I'm like, Alex, like, can we do like 30%? She's like, you're going to eat less pokey. Like, no joke. <laughs> like, that's my new sin. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm, LaCroix is going to be fasted soon, too. Um, <laughs> Did you guys get any LaCroix? You guys don't, 915 gets LaCroix as you walk in. Iced, cold, tangerine flavored LaCroix. I'm not kidding. We're just, people are sharing their resources. Um, okay, so let's check this out. Um, love, I want us to be known by unconditional love. Love is everything. The problem with that word is that love is, is, is the word is diluted, is it not? It's like so, mis- I've just shared, I love LaCroix, I love Pokey, I love my wife, I love you, God. And, um, and we have romantic comedies, and we, we have these apps that talk about love, and we think of Shakespeare, but soft light through yonder window breaks, it is the east, and Julia is the sun, arise for a sun, and kill thee already. I'll just stop right there. <laughs> I used to be an actor, once upon a time. But love is so diluted with sonnets and songs, right? And, and so what is love? And so scripture gives us a very good picture. So if you have a Bible, I want you to think about this with me deeply for a second. Go to 1 John chapter 3. We'll look at verse 16. And, and I want to read this text. So we have um, this, this powerful text that I'm going to just anchor the rest of the time in. Um, and we had a long testimony, so I get it like 15 more minutes, and then we'll be done. So this is verse 16. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. So what's the, the question I'm answering is, what, does, what is love? What, being so abstract and diluted, John is defining it. This is how we know what love is. Christ, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So quick context. John is the author of 1 John. He was a disciple of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. And all throughout the gospel of John and his epistles, he's wanting the church and followers of Jesus to know that he experienced the real Jesus. He touched Jesus. He ate meals with Jesus. He hugged Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. Jesus was not some abstract idea at all. He was very tangible and material. He says that love, by definition, is Christ. And the image that we have to have is Christ on the cross. So love, to be uh, the model we're given, is laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, do you want community? You want intimate, authentic, meaningful family and community? It doesn't start with you telling somebody what your needs are. If you go into community expecting your needs to be met, they will never be met because they're ideals. If you go into community as a Christian 
with this image of love in your head, lay down your rights, your preferences, your perspective, your needs. For the sake of your brother, you will always have your needs met. Because love is self-sacrificing. Love, this is love unconditionally. And I, we can speak, okay, lay down your life, lay down your preferences. These are still sonnet language, Darren. Well, I think John knows that. So John goes on to give you an application of what love looks like in community. And there's no escaping the abstract language here. It's very, very tangible and material. So I don't want anyone that's a follower of Jesus to cross this out of their Bible. Because the, we're talking vision. If there's a vision for us, it's found in the heart of this passage. Verse 17, the ap application. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So what is love? Well, it's the image of Christ on the cross. How do we do that? Well, one way is if you have anything, stuff, any material possessions, that your love of God and love for God is directly connected to what you do with your stuff. You didn't see that coming as a vision, did you? Do you think... No there could be any more prophetic example of an alternative community in a consumer-oriented society than to be people who say, no, no, our love of God is directly connected, connected to how we use our things. You see, I, I, we've made Jesus in our own image and we've crossed out a bunch of these passages because it's, it's a little inconvenient for our consumer-oriented selves. We earn that vacation. We earn that retirement. We earn and work hard for my things, my privacy, my home that I purchased. I'm an owner. I have right to this school district. I can, I'm entitled to my child being treated a certain way because of the district and the taxes that I pay. This is the ethos of America that is corrupting the church and its witness. And love is not some abstract fairy tale. Love is you, when you see a brother and sister in need. And, and John says in the, in the Greek, it's a strong language. It says, and you shut your heart off to, has no, the word pity, has no compassion. Obviously, God's love is not inside of you. The word compassion is probably a more appropriate word for the definition of unconditional love. I think today, right now. Because it's direct. It's, um, the word is compassion is the summation of Jesus' teachings about God. Um, can you put up that slide? Uh, compassion is the central quality of God and the central moral quality of a life centered in the kingdom. Compassion is more than just a feeling. It's a worldview. It's a way of interacting in the world in the scriptures. Compassion is, compassion is an alternative vision for human life in community. All throughout the scriptures, Jesus is talked as somebody who's moved with or filled with compassion. And so it, what you see when you read scripture, it says that Je Jesus is moved with compassion, so he touches the leper, he feeds the 5,000, he, he gives sight to the blind, he raises Lazarus from the dead, he casts out demons and heals the sick. He says that God is, what's God like? He's like a father who has compassion on a prodigal son. He's taking off running to welcome his son after he's re returned from sh being shamed and wishing his father was dead. So compassion 
is kind of this, this way of life. It's a way of seeing God, but it's a way of interacting in the world. It's an alternative vision for community. And this is why it's a vision for us. Now, what you need to know is to, for the people of God, all throughout the Old and New Testament, we are to be marked by compassion. This is not some new thing found in Jesus. This is something that is central to the people of God. From the Old to the New Testament, we are to be the kinds of people that feel and act the way God feels and acts towards us. The word compassion means to be moved from within. It's, that's a horrible translation because in Greek it's, it says your bowels are twisted from the inside. It causes you to get up out of your seat and do something about the thing in front of you that's causing you to feel this deep emotion. That's how God feels towards us, that he gave us his one and only son. And, and John is saying when you see somebody in need and you have something and you don't take care of it and you don't feel that thing, you don't feel that deep turning within you, well, how can the love of God be inside of you? Right? And this is the other thing I think the American church, church is lacking, compassion. We vilify the enemy. We vilify the opposite political party. We vilify everyone that doesn't agree with our theological stance. We're quick to call it heretics rather than enter into relationship and see them as brothers and sisters and love people the way God loves them. To feel and act. In Hebrew, the word for compassion is womb. It's connected to the word womb. In Hebrew, it's, um, to, it's the, the, the language is how a, a mother feels towards her unborn child. And God feels and acts towards us. That's what it says. Like a mother acts and feels towards her unborn child. Compassion is fundamental to the people of God. All right, we're going long. So um, I'm not going to apologize because I think this is for us. All right, you guys good? Because we're going to worship after this. But I want to, I wanna, so how do we grow? I want to just end with this quick insight from Deuteronomy. If you have a Bible, go to Deuteronomy. I want us to grow in compassion, unconditional love. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 15 um, verse 7. You see, I want to point us to the Old Testament because there's a lot going on in the world. What you see in the scripture is that God is always defending the weakest in scripture. So he will couple in the Old Testament orphan, the widow, or the foreigner, stranger, the immigrant. Always. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's provisionary laws to protect and support them. I want to point this one out because I think in this, there's some insight for how we can live. Um, you guys good? Deuteronomy 15, 7. If anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward, towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything, um, in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So the text is saying this. Look, um, the Israelites are about to go into the promised land where they're, they're going to experience abundance. And it's saying those that have enough in, in this land, there will be those that have enough and those that don't have enough. When those that don't have enough come to share or ask to borrow from those that have enough, those that have enough, don't think to yourselves in that moment, seven years is almost approaching. So it's six and a half years in. And every seven years they cancel debts. 
Don't think to yourself, oh, the seven-year cycle is almost here. If I give and let him borrow, I won't get it back. Don't think, don't be hard-hearted, it says, or tight-fisted, and think to yourself this, because they may then appeal to the Lord against you. You with me? Appeal to the Lord against. Two quick stories. One, I want to show you what's going on here from a different perspective. So I was, a year ago, I was on a men's retreat going to Colorado, driving to do what men do on retreats, eat like beans out of a can, shoot guns, uh, ride dirt. Like we were like off-roading, climbing stuff, competing in everything you could possibly compete. It was like one of those, I prefer like retreat, like go to the pool, get a massage, like women's retreat. I'll sign up for that. But I went on this thing. <laughs> I went on this thing and we decided to caravan to Colorado. It was the longest drive of my entire life. There are two cars. One of the cars broke down on the way there. So we put six dudes with all of our camping gear in one car. It was completely crowded and it was the longest ride of my life. We were all starving. I somehow snuck into the front seat. I don't know how I got into the front seat, but I got into the front seat. I knew how I got into the front seat. I got into the front seat, opened up my bag and realized I had a bunch of snacks and one of them was dried mangoes. And I, I started to open up my dried mangoes, but then this thought came into my head. If I open this bag, I'm going to have to share. <laughs> and I started calculating in that moment instantly, how much will be left for me? I thought to myself, if I am forced to share, I won't have enough for me. So I put it back in. And as I put it back in, I hear this conviction. If that's how you are with dried mangoes, what else in your life are you doing this with? Oh, zip. Who wants dried mangoes? It was completely gone instantly, okay? So that was a thought in my head because I calculated what is called the scarcity mindset. That same month at the garden, there was a 20-something-year-old girl who finished her studies here, and she was going back. She was studying from overseas. She was going back home, getting rid of everything. She had to sell her car to go back to find a job, start a career, get an apartment. That She found out at the garden there was a family that didn't have a car in need. And rather than selling the car to help her be established as she moved home with nothing, she gave her car away. Your pastor struggles with dried mangoes. <laughs> Some of us know what to do with our used cars. You see that thought I had? That's the way of empire. Now stay with me, we're gonna close. Deuteronomy is teaching you, hey, brothers and sisters, when you go into the land of promise and abundance, there will be people that don't have enough, that have enough and don't have enough. And when they ask to borrow from you, don't have a hard heart. Otherwise, they might cry out, or, which is the Hebrew word, cry out or appeal to the Lord against you. Now those two phrases are electrical and they're firing, they're fireworks for a different story because they're, they're for a defining story for the people of God. Those two words would have brought those people that listening to the, the Deuteronomy text right back to the story of Exodus, which is the defining story for the people of God. Where in Exodus, the Israelites were slaves to an oppressive empire that dominated the weak, that stored for themselves, that made slaves out of the Israelites. And the Israelites in the beginning of Exodus cry out to the God, their God, and their God hears their cries because our God hears the cries of the oppressed and sends Moses to liberate the oppressed. Moses comes to Pharaoh. God is about to do something new. It's called Exodus for a reason. He's doing something new. Let my people go. And it says Pharaoh hardened his heart to God. 
Brothers and sisters, when you live with abundance, the way of empire begins with this thought, I won't have enough for me. Your heart is hardened to your brother or sister and it moves, it starts with your things. Do you guys see what's going on? It starts with your old iPhone, your extra fridge, your car, your, your house, the spare bedroom. It starts with your things and you begin to shut off your heart to people in need with your things. That moves you to dominate and oppress. It will lead to an oppressive empire if you are not careful. And it all starts with you having an open heart, being, having a soft heart and open hands. That's the, that's the teaching of Deuteronomy. Now, how do we live the way of compassion, the way of kingdom? How do we grow in compassion? Brothers and sisters, I just want to invite you this season to open up your hands to the things that you have and pray that God would give you a soft heart. Because you know what I know? I know some of us start off here. We start off here sharing, and then the things come back a little damaged. How many of you have brothers or sisters or roommates? Can I get an amen? Amen. My younger brother ruined everything I had. And as long as we, those things define who we are, and it's fine to have nice things and we want them protected, but if, you, if they create all sorts of tension when you're not able to lend, if you're not able to release them, then they own you. You don't own them, right? But it starts with a good heart and then it comes back damaged or you, you don't get it back and then you, you build that little callus and then they take advantage of you. You build that callus. And then someone says, well, you know, there's something wrong with that. They're just going to use it for drugs and alcohol. And you, you, you build a cal- All of a sudden, your heart is hardened to the people around you overnight. And what I know we need as a community is compassion. And I'll just end with this. This is why I'm teaching about it. Two years ago, I had a crazy experience with the Lord. I was in India at a leper colony, not a leprechaun colony. <laughs> Somebody's like, did you say a leprechaun village? No, I said leper colony, a leper village. It was for this community of lepers in India, and they were Christians. And uh, I had been there before, but there, I had this experience where there was, um, they were in this worship service, and disfigured brothers and sisters worship like I've never seen worship. No, no, most of them had missing fingers, had gashing wounds, missing noses. Part of their face was gone. The pastor had leper, leprosy and he had no fingers and he was holding the microphone with his nub, worshiping like I've never seen worship. I, I witnessed this and I was, and it's hot. It was like 110 degrees and there's mosquitoes and it's, it's just trash and we're crammed in this room. It's tiny and, and, and I'm, I'm just seeing this and I'm realizing like, they, they get it. I don't get it. And I just start weeping. But it wasn't like this, like, oh, I'm going to cry. I'm having this personal. It was like hysterical, uncontrollable wailing on the floor. Like, I had to leave because I was disrupting the service. I was supposed to talk at it. And I just go to this ditch near the, the sewage. And I just weep and weep. And I'm like, God, why am I crying? Just, just cry. I just felt him say, just cry. And I just kept crying. He's like, and then he says to me, this is how I feel. And I said, and then he says to me, this is why I'm teaching this. He says, my, the American church is full of spiritual lepers. I'm like, what? What does that mean? He says, leprosy, you lose the ability to feel. He says, my church has forgotten how to feel. 
Brothers and sisters, if there's anything I want us to be known by, it's compassion. Can we be taken advantage of for the sake of Christ? Can we do everything we can to learn the way of sharing, the way of Christ, the way of anti-empire? Can we do that together? I don't know. There's not like this rally call, like sign up on the email. It's, I'm asking for you to challenge your heart and become the kind of person that says, you're in need. Let me, I don't know how we can do this, but I have some things. Can I just help you out? That's the invitation this next season. Let your heart break. Let your heart be soft. And for those of us like me that at one point had a really hard heart to people, I had a really hard heart in ministry at one point, and God gave me a soft heart. I had to repent, had to release it, and he healed me of lots. See, the thing that builds the callus the most is pain because the people who love us the most are the people who do the most damage. And then we just wall it off and we don't let anyone in. And I think there's so many here that have such massive walls around your heart. They're fortresses, and God's just going to take it down this season and invite you into a new season. Can we do that? Would you stand with me? Let's worship. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.